And that's the only crop we have in the plantations for my parents. So imagine the pressure. I was like, okay, so... This is everything. Like, yeah, from one of the, you know, harvest. Like, that's all we have. I got so nervous about, my God, what if we didn't pass before? My brain was like, my God, nonstop thinking about what can I do? So I'm like, okay, this coffee shop could be either blessing, could be curse. (laughs) And especially when you had to go to the bank and borrow money. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. Does it matter how badly you got beaten down? Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Ayu Sadana bet everything on that first export of coffee beans, her family's harvest, her personal savings, and years of hard work. This moment was the culmination of working her family coffee farm, of a shattered dream for higher education, and of a desire to learn that took her around the world. From working as a receptionist at a five-star hotel, to a waitress at a celebrity chef's restaurant, to administrative work at a logistics company in Dubai, to finally founding Bali Beans in Bali. Now, Bali Beans is more than a coffee shop. It's sustainable agriculture. It's supporting the local community. It's becoming the blueprint for coffee shops in Bali, and it's carrying on a family tradition. But this journey started very simply. It started on a farm in the countryside of Bali. I mean, it it seems like coffee almost runs through your veins. And I would love to know, what are your earliest memories growing up on a plantation? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes, you're right. So coffee is like, is a, you know, run through my veins. So I'm come from Bali, obviously. Small town is actually located northeast of Bali. Uh, it's a countryside. It's a beautiful part side of Bali. What does it look like? It's mountains, fresh air, full of trees, birds singing, you know, and then anything that I grow in the backyard, I pick it and cook it straight away. Wow. It's a beautiful life. Honestly, like I was so privileged to be born there. And then obviously my parents kind of, you know, the the way their life is like their philosophy is farm to table kind of concept. So I was born and raised that way. On a farm? Yes. What was the farm like? The farm was like, you know, we need to plant when we're planting something, right? So, you know, when you are consuming so we always plan something that we for things to our family. So the mm. farm is like, it's the farm shade was to grown. feed you guys. Yes, basically. Like example, we barely buy anything when we're kids because really? that time, if I have to be honest with you, the road wasn't even there. I started had like electricity. It's only 1996. Wow. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, uh, that childhood, like we don't see the future, you know, we only know what we know then. And everyone just live as a very strong community. And it's so hard to come here. And then there was no motorbike. There was not many car. And then even the bridge, if you're coming into my village right now, obviously now we have a long bridge. So that's why the road slightly be more connected. But the old, you know, back then was literally nothing. Wow. Things have changed so much since then. But do you remember like what your parents thought about just the farm and your place in it? Did you like begin to help out on the farm too? So, you know, being a farmer and then coming from a small town like me, and obviously I have four, four siblings, by the way, mm-hmm. um, as a Balinese family. And then um, we don't have exposure as much as you guys have. Mm-hmm. You've got toys, you've got educations, you have other things. So the only thing that I can do when I was a kid is basically play around in the farm. Right. So speaking to the coffee trees example or any trees as my like uh what do you call that um friends. Yeah, friend. <laughs> you know, because you know, imaginary friend. Yeah. Right? Would you like you know your childhood memory you yeah. have imaginary friend. The coffee right? trees are your imaginary yeah, friend. So, you know, because for them being a farmers again like we depending ourselves on the crop that we have and being a coffee farmers we only have that crop come once a year wow 
So the, our harvest time is from May to October. So we pretty much depending our life, the entire family, obviously my siblings and my parents on right. those crops. You know, on and on being a good crop. And like, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Oh, with, oh hell yeah. yeah. I mean, like example, rainfall or maybe mm-hmm. too dry or, or I don't know whoever decide for the price, you know, for the coffee, you know? So my memories is always like revolve around. I mean, if I have a good toy or my parents going to give me a pocket money or something is always depending on the coffee crop. And then for me, I got so enthusiastic when I was a kid, like, oh, how can I help? So every harvest, I'm always looking forward to it just because I, I'm always expecting like something new toys or yeah. something new bike and stuff. And, and then, yeah, so I help around what, what my parents do in the farm. And was it just your family that was working the farm or did you have like help harvesting? So we also got help from local women farmers too. Because what happened is when a coffee harvest, like the, the because the harvest is from May to October, so the, the cherry doesn't turn red at the same time. So we need help as much as possible from different farmers as well. Did you help out on other farms too? Or was that the only farm that you worked on? I was only just focused with our own farm just because, like I said, again, every cherry was mean a lot to us. Mm-hmm. So my duty was when I kids was like collecting every cherry drop up under the trees. What did your parents encourage? Like, did they want you to be a farmer? Sadly, no. Why not? Because I think the, the number of work they do, and plus also in Indonesia, we don't have a system where subsidized by the governments. It giving the farmers very uncertain with their crop mm-hmm. and obviously the price that we cannot control somehow. So it's unstable. It's, an unstable it's very living. unstable. So that's why I think not just my parents, I would say, a lot of farmers also doing the same thing. So they don't encourage their kids right. to don't continue. Don't get into farming. Yeah, like, don't no. do what we're yeah. doing. It's just, can you get somewhere else job, which is much more consistent, much more guarantee, you know? But it seems like you had an affinity for it. Like you, you, you enjoyed being on the farm. Is that true? Oh, yeah, I love it. Because I think, you know, as a human, you have a basic life, right? Is basically food. Yeah. And then if you can be around a food and then you know <laughs> and how it grown and how is it being cooked to you directly. And then that is the best feeling ever. So, yeah, I do enjoy it a lot. So because your parents were like, okay, don't go into farming. What, were, what did you start to explore? What did you get into? Well, obviously, Bali is a tourism place. So obviously, I'm just following the trend. So yeah. I went for univer- like, you know, school where it's involved tourism. And then... Somehow, obviously, 18 years of my life, I focus on tourism. And then somehow now I'm like, no, I want to go back to where I actually started in life. But how did you start in terms of like, did you just decide to study harder? Were you trying to get a certain kind of job? What kind of things were you becoming interested in outside of the farm? So uh, my parents actually supporting my older sister to my older brother to go to school hoping they can help the younger siblings to send me to school or right. financially and stuff. But unfortunately, those doesn't happen because my brother got a motorbike accident after graduate from university. He almost lost his life. And then my parents had to actually borrow a lot of cash from the bank, from the people, from the neighbors and stuff. Could you actually tell me the, the day you found out about your brother's accident? That was in 2003. In September, that's when I was supposed to go to high school. I was only 14. Where were you? I was at home. I was with my younger brother, actually. Like someone just knocking the door and called, shout out my mom, like, you know, sorry, sorry, please, you know, or um, this is your son outside in the, in the car. You know, like, what's happening? What's happening? So we all got panicked. And then we ran out of the house and then see what's going on. And then I saw my brother was lying in the back of the truck with a lot of blood on Everything was just blank, you know, like everything was just like literally blank. And then I was like, and then obviously my, my, my mom was like, are you, can you just, you know, stay with your brother, go to the hospital. My mom was in charge to borrow money because we don't have money at all the time. My parents financially, the time was like literally already minus if I have to describe it in wow. a way. So not even plus, you like know, we are nothing. It's only just survival food. It's nothing more. And I had to sit in the car and then I had to travel all the way from the village listen to my brother in pain in the back of the car all the way to the hospital You were here. 14. Yes, I was 14. So how did how does he get taken care of? We arrived at the hospital and then my sister took responsibility to the doctor said like we want the best treatment possible for my brother because if we didn't do that then my brother wouldn't be able to walk now. 
But you know, imagine like 14 years old, I was dreaming so high to go to be able to go to school. And that dream was suddenly like shut in my face. Because it's like they, your, your parents, brother, your sister, probably all saving money for you to go to school. Right. And now you're not going to be able to. You probably had dreams of. I didn't even have to think about it, you know, because I just knew the situation will impacting my future. And I just know that this is not going to happen. You know, I'm not going to go to school. When did that start to set in? Because like I imagine first you're thinking of your brother, but then when does like the financial repercussions of, I mean, this tragic accident start to hit you? You know, when your parents is not being themselves, right? And I just knew. And then for me to even like to adding more weight for them financially, like or pressure for them to send me to school, then I just have to forget about it. Mm. And it was Opal thing, you know, like all my friends that time, they were so happy. They were so excited to deciding which school they're going to go for. Like, you know, and it's, it's very heartbreaking, really. Mm. And yeah, so that's why. And then I have to look after my brother for six months wow. while he was in bed. But thankfully, like my my mom able to gather some cash, extra cash, and it was cost a lot. That's Your brother recovered? Yes. After long bed rest, I think I remember, I think probably around six to eight months for him to be able to walk again. But then he's also need to start to find a job. But then I already missed the submission to the school. Wow. Yes. <laughs> like, what did you think you could do? Well, I ran off from my home. Really? After I knew that he was feeling a lot better. And then obviously, you know, for someone to stay in bed all that long, they get bored, right? Mm -hmm. So any small word, you say something. He got angry so easily. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one who looking after him, right? So he's always like roaring each other, you know, because we, we kind of, I'm tired looking after you and you're tired. Of and then because of you, I didn't go to school. You, you have that feeling sometimes. Yeah, there's a resentment. That you builds. know what I mean? It's, it's normal, right? To feel like because of this situation, I couldn't go to school. And the hard feeling was... When I see all my friends for the same age as me from the same village, they're coming in every weekend. Mm. When I go to temple, they were talking all the experience they had at school. And I didn't have that. Instead, I was looking after my brother, who are obviously not well. And then plus at the same time, you know what I did? What? I planted coffee trees in the back of my house where the Bali beans plantation right now. Wow. And hoping to have kind of changing the way my life should be. Like one day these trees will grow and this will yes, be Yes, yes, will be the future. So when do you decide to run away and where to? After I did all the coffee tree planting, and I just thinking like, this is far from what I imagined my life would be, you know, because I had also imagination when I was a kid at, 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 under the trees. Yeah. I always imagined myself going to be driving a nice car, like, you know, have a decent life, get the looking, you know, dress well and stuff. And then I was like, no, no, this is cannot be it. Because, you know, you come to reality when you get so much deep into what's happening in your life, life actually control your life. I don't know if you have, you, you understand that kind yeah, of no, thing. Yeah, no, it's like it, there's a certain point where. But you have no control, but life control you. Yeah. So that's how I felt that time. And then I'm suddenly, I was like, no, 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 no. This is cannot be it. I need to do something. What can I do? And then one of the girl, which is she's come from the same place as me. She's also a disabled woman. Like she has a polio on her leg. She was like, we are become very close because we are in the same village and everything. And then, and Katut helped me to say, hey, I have this opportunity. It's like, what opportunity? I got an offer a job in Sanur in a little shop. It's like, okay, what's the deal? You know, <laughs> what's, yeah, the, what's deal? the job? What's the job? Just looking after the shop and it's in tourist area. I was like, would you be interested? Like, okay, what do I get? Like, okay, he going to provide us accommodation and obviously some money every month, you know, monthly salary. I'm thinking like, okay, let's give it a try. And so you were just like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. How old were you? And like probably like 14 and eight months to be exact. Wow. Because it was, the house was become so depressing. I was listening to my parents fighting a lot about financial issue because we borrowed so much money for my brother uh, recovery and operations and stuff like it's become toxic because they've gone through really hard time right and then I had to borrow money from my cousins 50,000 which is what two and a half dollars that time wow and I said no just go I just left I just left the house what did you use that two and a half dollars for what did you need that for 
just for, for my pocket money because we've been promised that we're going to get monthly salary and then the food is being taken care of and accommodation is being paid off. So, so I just use it for me to just holding on basically. Yeah. And we left two of us. I didn't tell my mom, which is sometimes, you know, like you've gone through the emotions when you just feel like the universe is not in line with what you hope for, right? So I didn't tell my dad either. And then I just started my job in Sonora. What was that like? It was not easy from the start, obviously. I had not much clue. I didn't have my experience. I was only like 14 and eight months years old, you know, and then I never worked in the shop before. And then especially came out of my own hometown where it's just a small village, you know, and then to be working in Sanur in the shop and involved a lot with tourists a lot and tourists come in to buy some stuff from us. So it's so much adjustment. But the only the good thing was that because I just eager to learn. So the English that I learned at school, the basic English, so I use it to practice. Even just wasn't perfect, even just one word or two words. So every day I have to literally learn yeah. every new word so that I can communicate. And you got better. And I get better. Mm. Yes. I try to practice a lot. So when I say something to the customers that time, I look at my books. So I buy some books and I listen to some English songs. So that's how I actually learn. All wow. like new words. English like, you know. songs and talking to uh -huh, people. Yes, yes. What were your favorite songs? Oh, that time. Um, oh, my God. This Canadian singer. I forgot. Like, Canadian. Uh, it's a long hair. I can't remember the name. Sorry. I'll okay. Get it. All gonna, right. Well, it's, no, it's your love. That's I don't know. What's his name? Just and I need to play that for you later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, keep going. Let's hear it. <laughs> oh my god, that was my first English song that I'm listening yeah. all the time when wow. I was kids. So yeah. So you know, you were learning English. You were learning how to work in the tourism industry. You were getting away from your family because I mean, like you had this life planned for you, and then a lot of that opportunity got taken away. So now it's like I got to create my own opportunity. When did you decide to? work abroad so obviously i learned english and then i got a job there and then i jump around to get another job which is in the restaurants in jimbaran actually and that's where i learned english so i learned to become a waitress you know houses and stuff but then i was eager to learn and learn and learn and learn and learn because i don't have these opportunities to learn at school right so i have the opportunity to learn that i work and unfortunately, there's a bomb happens in 2005. A bomb? Yes, there's a Bali bombing happened. What happened? Terrorism. So I don't know if you know, 2002, there's a bomb. The first bomb happened in Bali, which is killed about 202 people in Kutaligians. Yes. And the second one happened in 2005. Wow. Do you remember where you were? Yes. I remember very much well. I was obviously just, I think on the 5th of October and we just got paid, obviously. And I was thinking to go to Kuta, which is actually near to where the second bomb took place. Wow. And then thank God my friend picked me up so late, like, like probably half an hour later than it's supposed to be. So imagine if he picked me up like on time, I could have been driving fast to where actually the bomb had to happen. How many people died in the second? I think around 40 across two locations because the bomb blown up at the same time in two different locations. And then that's where like the tourism in Bali collapsed the second time right because it's like oh is this unsafe and i still remember all the news like all every countries they bring their own private plane to pick up their own people to get out of the islands and the island was like literally like a ghost town like nobody here and that time i had to support my younger brother i haven't gone through that story yet but in the same similar scenarios my parents couldn't able to, to send my brother to school. So I had to travel all the way from Nusa Dua to plantation to pick up my brother so then he doesn't have the same uh, experience as me. So I pick him up and then brought him to my place in Nusa Dua after two year, uh, three years of Irano off from home. What was it like seeing him again after all those years? Amazing. And I just see you know, it through his eyes like he was just so thankful that I came back for him because I heard he's also, you know, going to be able to go to high school. So, yeah, so I brought him up and then obviously during that bomb things happened. So I had to change and strip and how I can make money to support him. Yeah. Firstly, so then he have a better future than what I am. So how did you think about what you could do next? I was thinking 
if this is going to happen again in Bali, what's going to happen? You know, with the tourism, right? So there's so much flyers going on around that time. Like, oh, would you be interested to walk in Maldives or, really? or you know, Dubai, this kind of thing. So they were looking for Indonesians to work abroad. Correct. Mm. Correct. So I was thinking like, okay, this is could Maybe be that interesting. Could be good. And I, was, what, what, was the pay really good too? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Wow. Because at that time when I had to support my brother, I had two jobs at the same day. In the morning, I work in the telephone shop. And the evening, like around three o'clock, I work in this Jim Baron seafood restaurants just to be able to live, you know. So you got your brother. You're, you're working two jobs to support him and yourself. And you're also looking at these abroad jobs. When do you find a job that you're like, okay, I'm ready to move for this? That was in 2006. So obviously the bomb is in, to- in October. To be specific, I just remember all the dates and stuff. Did you hear the bomb go off? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. I was in the house. I was just, you know, I, I, um, I stay in a small like apartments, local apartments. And then I was like so much chaos on the road. There's so much armies so what's going on. And the telephone was so limited at the time. And of course, when during that happened, they switched off all the network. So to avoid like another bombs right. take place, bomb. it might be because, you know, the signals and everything signals, else, yeah, right? Yeah. So, oh my God, it was a chaos. Like, honestly, the experience or the, the scenes that I seen that time, it was so scary. My parents were looking for us and all the siblings were yeah, checking on sure us. Like, okay. oh my God, it was just, just literally, oh my God, it, it is, it was a sad day. And so, I mean, the, yeah, this, this thing happened. The tourism industry actually collapses after this, which means a lot of that, I guess the jobs that you would be working are probably, it makes it a little tougher to make money on those, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. So it happened in 2002 and it happened again in 2005. Yeah. So three years after. So when you see all this happening, you're having to support your brother. What was the job that you found in 2006 abroad? So... Yes. And then I have to switch the way the strategy, right? <laughs> I was like, okay, this is not working in Bali. And then I'm thinking, what job can I get abroad? But it can also give me an uh, opportunity to learn more. And so I applied for the job as a receptionist. So then it's going to be improve my communication skill, learning to take reservation, communication better. Where was this? Where is this receptionist job? So I applied for Maldives, actually one of the biggest islands in Maldives called Sun Island. I was excited. I was like, I like the idea of like work abroad because that time I, I don't have many friends. Yeah. You know, all my friends were still in school. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're on your own. In the I'm Maldives. on my own and like in living but in other life. you're learning so much. And w- what did you think of the job? Did you enjoy it? Yes, I actually did. So it was like really something new because like I said again I did not have the opportunity to learn that at school so I'm like trying to learn as much as possible in my real life so I enjoyed being a receptionist but then you know Mal is kind of bad you know when you're there for too long it gets boring yeah <laughs> Too small. <laughs> like, too small. I'm thinking like, I thought Bali is small, but this <laughs> is a lot smaller. I'm like, oh my God, I'm stuck in a small islands. Yeah. So you felt a little trapped. So you're like, all right, I learned how to communicate more with people. You yes. got a more well-respected job yes. as a receptionist. And now it's like, all right, time to leave once again. So where did you go to? Back then, Dubai was become very... You know, like the start of oh, the yeah. hype. I mean, I'm they like, were building the skyscraper. Yes. It, was like, it was the f- city of the future. Yes. And I was like going on the Yahoo and searching of like, what is Dubai like? I hope it's not going to be another island, you know? So then I researched about Dubai and I'm thinking like, okay, maybe give it a go. Let's see how Dubai plans out. So and I let are you it. still, are you sending money back to your brother? Oh yes. Every yeah. month. Wow. This is like religion because otherwise you will not be able to go to school. So every penny, most of every penny, I just keep a little from me. I would say 20% of my wages every month and then 80% goes home. Wow. So now you go to Dubai. What were your first impressions of the city? I was like, whoa, it's still desert, by the way, when I arrived. Like it's not much as many building. But my feeling was that I'm like, this is what I would imagine myself working abroad. It's a city life. So I was amazed by the tall building, full of glass. And then, you know, when you, you go into the building, you fresh like floor of 44, you know, because we don't have that in Bali, you know. So that was exciting and something like for me, new things. And plus also, I felt like I'm doing something right for myself. Wait, so what, what was the job that you were looking, working at in Dubai? I work in a hotel for the chef called Gary Rhodes. 
unfortunately he died already like a few years ago. Uh, he's a celebrity chef from the UK. And that's where I learned to be like, oh my God, the British way of the serving food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. should be on the right side, you know? And then, you know, the wines will be filled this much and then the water has to be... Yeah, I mean, it's super like, fancy. It's, it's a like very fancy. fancy. Yeah. It's a celebrity chef. So I kind of learned something new then again. Yeah. But then, of course, it took me not long to realize it, to be in Dubai, to be able to have a good life. Hospitality is not the answer. Right. Because it's so expensive to live there. Yes. So, so expensive. So I'm always curious what, what do people do to be able to afford to have such expensive meal? Like people who came to the restaurant, they spend a lot of money. Almost like one of like two person dine out in the restaurant, like almost like my full month of salary, you know? Wow, in so one meal. In one meal. You get your question, right? Because the point of me to kind of move away and leave my family and leave my own paradise, come all the way to Dubai to actually to have a better life. So like, why am I here here for? Like, why am I only getting this much of my mom, you know? But you kind of question yourself, like, how can I make that happen? Yeah. I was like, you know, brainstorming myself, like, how can I do it? Which is okay. What should I do the next step to be able to what be What were some of the life? people that were ordering the, these expensive meals? What were they doing? They're explaining to me like, oh my God, I work in oil and gas. I work in the office and I work for government, uh, you know, office because that time was everything was from scratch. So there's so much job opportunity. And then one of the girl was working as a PA and then as the administration in a company. And I was just thinking like, why can't I not do that? Yeah. So I do a bit more research. What is administration? What is the job and responsibility Using through Yahoo and an internet cafe. So when you were working at this job in Dubai for the celebrity chef, learning English more, learning about these other jobs. And again, like what is that next level you could get to? Did you notice anything about just like how you were paid in comparison to like some of the other people that were there? Oh, yes. Massively. And you can start learning to think like, whoa, you know, like what I actually get paid and how much actually the, the restaurant earn every day is, is massive. And then to knowing what other people also learn of not working in hospitality is literally like it opened up everything, you know. But then because I wanted so much, how do I get there? What do I need to learn? So I keep asking people. So when I make friends during my work, I ask them, what should I do, do you think? Because that is the most valuable things that I actually receive from people, guidance. Do you remember a conversation that made you get that next job or jump to that next place? Yeah, I still remember. So Jody, Jody's an Indonesian guy who happened to stay in the same hotel and he was there for a business trip. He's uh, actually in the, um, he owned, I think his partnership or own uh, part of Lee Jeans. I don't know if you know that. It's a quite big brand. It come to jeans um, and fashions. We kept in touch and he kind of lead me. And then being an Indonesian, someone success like him, it's encouraged me like, yeah, this is possible. Yeah, like you, you know? could do this. I can do that too. I also ask guidance from any people that I think is successful. Yeah, what was his guidance? The guidance was like, okay, first thing you need to do is obviously now you already learn basic English. And then you need to learn of the administration work. And then this is the strongest question that he asked me. How do you see yourself in five years? I was like, that's a good question. I don't know. It took me a while to answer that question. And I was thinking like, what do I do? I don't know. What I want to do in five years time. And then, okay, think about it. And I'll see you tomorrow and let me know what you want to do in five years. And the next day he came back, obviously, because he's staying in the, same, in the hotel, right? Have you decided what you want to do? And then I said to him, like, I want to have my own business. Wow. Okay. So now you know what you want to do. You need to work toward this. I was thinking like, okay, so what should I do now? I want to have my own business. I want to, uh, you know, I want to have to be able to have a capital to build my business, right? No, you have to build the skill first and then the capital will flow because people need to see the skill and then the capital will flow. Mm. You know, and then obviously come to wider questions like what kind of business you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to be, I want to control my own life because I feel like obviously from my childhood to like at school, I did not have a control of my life at all. Yeah. So, and that's what I need. But well, you need to figure out what you're really good at. 
That's why you focus on your skill and basic skill in business. And then he was like, you need to know administration work. You need to know a little bit about financial side of it. You need to know about business development side of it. Yeah, how to sell. How to sell is very important skill. I'm thinking like, oh, there's a lot to prepare, you know, <laughs> like for someone little tiny like me from like small village in Bali. I'm like, okay, but you got five years to do that. The year and a half, I'm thinking like, I'm going to do something. So, and then I did cross training. Cross training. Yeah. That is like a term that we use in the hospitality when you work for example, the service, like, uh, you know, in the restaurant and then you do cross training in different departments. So then you experience about how actually. And so what department did you go to? In FMB. What's FMB? Like food and beverage. Food and beverage. Yes. Yeah. So basically in the hotel, you've got like more than one outlet, right? I think at that time, like, from the house, they have like five different outlets. It's managed by the FMB directors. And then there has a restaurant manager for each and every outlet. So, and then I did a cross training in the uh, FMB um, office. Wow. Okay. So you're getting like the administrative oh, work. Yes. You know, like you're already I, getting I, there. I, I waste no time. I yeah. waste no time. But like, I know what I want to do. And I was like, okay, I will do that. As long that's something that I can gain the knowledge from. And so you started working with like Excel, sending emails, Outlook, yes, Google, yes. like all the Outlook, stuff. Outlook, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no clue about Excel at the time. We only like, I learned a little bit out of it because in school in Bali that time, and obviously for me, I have a very limited access to school and then mm. computer. Oh God, I don't even dream to have a computer, yeah. you know. So it was learning and entering but you're everything. getting one step closer to what this guy said. It was like, get the skill set, right? Administrative. Yes. So you are... Now looking towards this next job of like learning how to sell. Can you tell me how you get a job at a logistics company in Dubai? I passed the administration work. I learned a lot of things about, you easy, know, whatever. Easy. Okay, done that. Been there, been there you done know. that. I'm ready for my next challenge. And I was like, okay. And then I was thinking like, what is next? Obviously, in any business, I think sales, business development is the key because with administration, you can just hire someone to do it for you, but you at least know the basic on how, what to do and how to monitor it. And then I was like, oh God, I was keep looking at the, um, the job vacancies available online. I applied a lot of job in business development or sales executive. And then at the same time, in Dubai at the time, if you are looking for the job as a sales executive, you have to have a driving license. So also at the same time, when I was doing my administration work, I also need to get my life's other skill, you know. So I had my driving license done and then I was like, oh, I'm ready for hunt for a new job, a new adventure. That is after, I think, 2011. So it's three years that I've been in Dubai. And I looked for the job and I finally got a job. It's actually not in logistics to start with. I was working in a travel company to start with as a business development as renting car and luxury cars what was it like selling and working with customers like that i have a background of the hotel i know a bit of people's in the hotel right so i go to different hotel all the time make new friends and try to help tell them to help me to sell or renting the car so that's how it worked and i mean in the meantime i was like send, sending money to my home anyway so i buy some cows <laughs> You bought some cows? Yes, I did. At home? <laughs> yes, wait, I did. Wait, you're living in Dubai. Yes. And you buy cows yes. in Indonesia? <laughs> yes. Who's going to take care of the cows? So, okay. Why did you decide to buy a cow? <laughs> <laughs> hey, because, you know, money make money, right? So <laughs> yeah. money should make it's you money, right? right? So, so that time I was communicating with my dad a lot and my dad was like, oh, you know what? Why don't we just buy some cows? Let some farmers to take care of the cows. And then by the time you come back to Bali, the cows will be grown and then you can sell it. And, then, you know, so at least your money is grown. Right. So I was thinking like, oh, why not? I'm going to give it a try. So every month at that time, of course, my brother's already graduated high school. So instead of paying his school fees, I bought cows. How many cows did you buy? So I think it's eight to become 36. That's a whole ass farm. That's that. yeah, but that is a business model. <laughs> that's that's you have like a farm now. Yeah. Right? So yes, this I was did. like this and was basically your first business. Yes, that was my first business. Did it do well? Yes, it worked. The technique or the trick was to buy a baby cows, which is probably worth that time was only two million per cow. And two this, million per cow. Yeah, okay. it's a male cows, right? 
it will take about one year to one and a half years to be able to be before ready to be in the market. Really quick. So two million IDR is about $130. So yeah. $131 or yes. so. So the agreement was with the farmer, like I give you this cow worth of $130. And then if anything, we able to sell 18 months later, like the difference that will be divided by two. Oh, so you're go you're going into business with them. Okay, yes, that's so smart. Get Aligning incentives, right? So, how much could you sell a cow for? At one point, we were able to sell the cows when the cows price is so good, like ten million or fifteen million. million. After one year or one year and um, six months. So you're in business. Business <laughs> is booming. You're making, yeah. you're making money. Yes, that's Whoa. right. Yeah, and then I'm like, I'm oh, thinking, okay, so then what next after that? So obviously, you know, work as Business development, I learned so much stuff in logistics. And that's when I learned about the food change work. So you understood going from harvesting the crop all the way to the customer enjoying whatever it might be. That's right. That's what's kind of like opening my eyes again, like in terms of like, get you thinking like, oh my God, I miss being at home, my childhood, where I can just pick everything from my backyard and cook it straight away. Because when you know so much going on where the food transit, like before actually made it to your plate, because Dubai doesn't produce food that time. Right. So now you're like, oh, wow, I, I kind of, one, miss home, but two, maybe there's a business opportunity there. Yes. So how did you start? I was like on a target with my five years goal, which is learn life skills. So I learned about, then I worked down to like two years in business development in logistics. And at the same time, as well, I learned on in terms of like, you know, go to a different coffee shop and try what the coffee they have. So how did you do the first test trial for Bali Beans? Like what is the first step you took to really see, is this viable? Can I make money with this? Can I build a business with this? So the first step I took was obviously, you know, you got... um annual leave that you can go home to, right? So I brought some sample with me to Dubai. Sample from my own plantations. And I shared it with people who loves coffee. And I said, what do you think of this coffee? I didn't tell them like where the coffee come from, like detail of it. And so I'm like, what do you think of this coffee? And they were like, my God. When the guy was tasting like, this is so good. Like where you get this coffee from? I was like, I have a coffee plantation in Bali. And I was just say, saying it humbly while he was sipping my coffee. And it was a bit, I was like, I what? Made it. <laughs> you have a plantation and you didn't tell me about it? I was like, is it something I have to tell people? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I have a coffee plantations in Bali. And then my friend's been growing coffee since 1985. And we always growing coffee in sustainable ways. So like, and it was like, so what do you do with it? I was like, I just supplying it to local brokers. You are? And this is such amazing coffee. Can you bring me something more different? Like, oh, I have so different processing as well. And then the next time I'm back to Bali and come back to Dubai and I brought some different things, a different thing. And then obviously like we need to do some research. Of like how to bring even more coffee from Bali to Dubai. I want to get people to know more like about my coffee. I'm thinking like, I'm not going to do this for free all the time. You know, you start of thinking of like the business side of it. It's like, and then I did the research, obviously. Research, research, research. I visited so... Wait, where did you research so I go to do so many different coffee companies in Dubai. And I'm like, I ask questions. I ask questions. Make friends with them. How they do this. Learning of specialty coffee. Like how they do it. And the roasting machine. And then everything they do. So pretty much everything. Everyone knows me in coffee. Famous world. in coffee yes. world. And then they were like, okay, it's you who own a plantation. But I never give them the coffee. Because I want to know who their coffee first. And then I give it mine. <laughs> Just in case, you know, there's neither room of improvement of the quality and the stuff. So I was like, I always keeping it humble and I just don't want to share as much. You know, like, yeah, we have our plantation because I want to learn from them first before they're learning from me. That is right. always my way. Of, I always like to listen of others before I speak for myself. Because sometimes what you know, maybe he knows better. So, yeah. so that's how I actually, you know, roll my life. Um, so, yeah. So then I was thinking like, okay, maybe it's time. And then let me try with the paperwork that I have. Found a buyer first and then export my first coffee to Dubai. Wow. So you found a yes. buyer in Dubai, exported your first that's coffee. Right. How much did you export your it's first It's not coffee? much. It would just export like about 2,000 kilos. Not much. Yes. It's two tons. So two tons of coffee? Yes. And then I had to think, like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. Wait, wait, how do you even transport two tons of um, coffee? By ocean, by the uh, container. 
Was that hard to figure well, out? That was my expertise, so it was easy for me, right? right? So that's what you had been doing at uh-huh, your job, exactly. So now I'm just bringing my own product, and then find a buyer, which is that was part of business development. So, so I'm in a good skill set. <laughs> Two tons of coffee, yes. and that's not much. Oh my gosh! That's not okay. Much. Wow. Were you worried when it was shipping? Yeah, like- I didn't sleep. And that's the only crop we have in the plantations for my parents. So imagine the pressure. That's all we have. So we're going to give you and support you and you do your best there. So imagine the pressure. And plus, wow. like you said, I got so nervous about, my God, what if we didn't pass paperwork? And obviously being the knowledge of logistics and like, what is the storage required? What if we cannot clear the documentations? Because it's raw product. And when it's come to raw product, there's a certain rule and regulation that we need to fulfill before the shipment has arrived, right? And let's say you don't get one of those regulations. This isn't like, you know, computers or like phones where it could sit forever and it'll be fine. Like there's a time limit. And if you don't, it doesn't get to the place, like it could That's go right. back. And then, and then obviously I got so nervous, but then I was like double check, triple check, four time check, five time check, just to make sure that we are good. And thankfully, it was landed successfully in Dubai. So how much money did you invest? Oh my God, that time, like uh, the coffee price was still very cheap. I think if I'm not mistaken, per kilo was about $3 or something. And then wow. I was up to sell it for landed price. And then there's a shipping cost, obviously. I think it's right. around $1,500 for the shipping. I had an option to send a little bit lot less, but then it doesn't make sense in business. So how much are you trying to sell? I was trying to sell it for $10 or $12. Wow. $10. So that's like, you're sitting on like a $20,000 possible revenue. Yes. And the money that I didn't have. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're like, this is everything. everything, You know, like obviously, you know, working logistic as well. We we don't have paid as much as what people we imagine. Right. So, so yeah, I was like, and obviously rely on my parents' crop. So, because that's the only thing they got. So I have to make sure that my parents also got some cash for them to use on daily basis. Yeah. And I imagine like if you're selling it overseas, like you're probably going to be able to make more of a profit. That's what you think, but it's actually not. Really? Mm-hmm. Coffee no. landed successfully in Dubai. And then obviously it doesn't, you know, it's not a happy ending there. <laughs> it's not a happy no, ending? What? Because so we did everything correctly. All the moisture contents of the beans, perfect. And then some is shipped to Dubai for about four weeks by ocean and then landed in Dubai and then and then depending on how you're storaging it as well and this storaging is the buyers who are taking care of the storage and then of course the, that time they don't I don't know how the storage work because Dubai is a very hot climate country because sometimes humidity can very strong and stuff so the buyers doesn't store it perfectly basically and then they start complaining to me after like three months of the shipments being arrived your coffee wasn't dry enough and and it was like you know we need to get a refund like we we want to get the money back from you was there like mold or something yeah it was or? like more mold and also plus also this, there's insects so we don't know if that insect coming in from our bag or coming in from different coffee of different countries that which is stored together in the same warehouse because it's something that you cannot investigate right so what you're saying is you invested basically like everything you had and it showed up and now they're asking for a refund. What do you feel? And like? I just had to explain it. I had to go on a meeting and sit down with them. And I said, like, I'm sorry. This is, you know, not in my control. You cannot just coming into me after three months of the shipment being landed in your warehouse and asking this. Are you sure you're looking after your storage? You just never know where that insects come from, right? It could be from our bag or it could be from the storaging because you cannot control. So I had to be strong. We did check this before. It was clear it was okay from Dubai Customs. So Dubai Customs, of course, they have to check if the, 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 the item is good enough to be imported, right? So that was my kind of battle with them. And then, of course, I lost the account after that. So they never buy it from me anymore. But you had the yes. money from it. So at least you weren't out like like everything that you had invested. It was not nice. Because the, the market is so small and the coffee company's um, world was so small. Right. And so now no one yeah, will buy I'm just worried, obviously, like, oh my God, he's going to speak. Just sometime like in business. You- people talk. Yeah, people, people talk. And then you have no control on what they can share with others too. You know, maybe even it's not my intention to make that happen. Like, but it happened. What can you do? It's, yeah. it's grown in natural and organic environments. 
did you do? Like if you, if you're, you're worried people will talk, like what, what do you plan to do? So next? I had to explain it to different coffee companies, the situations. It's like, you know, I had to be truthful. Like I had no idea. I had to explain a logic way because that was the truth. I had no idea where that come from, the insects that could be. And a lot of people knows the company. I don't want to mention the name of the, the company that I supply the first time. A lot of people in that business, they knew how the storage too, they, they, how the storage worked. Because you cannot take the responsibility. So it seemed like the other coffee companies Understood. on your yes. side. The storage, because it's a climate, it's hot in the summer. So what did you do for your next export? And obviously, I um, started doing like business development again, make new relationship with other guys and then a different company. They understood of the value what I want to do. Funny world with Dubai, right? In a way, in a business angle side of it, I understand where they come from. But in, in a logic way, when I give them real story for them to be able to sell it directly to consumers, to educate consumers that the coffee coming from directly from the farm, which is going to be adding value to their company too. But they not genuinely or kindly use the story. But they're still asking for like stupid price, if that makes sense. Like So so yeah, then I had to win. Then I imported and the agreement this time is different agreement to the first one. Obviously, the guys already knows about what's happening in the first instance of the, the import I did to Dubai. And then they were like, okay, we'll help you to, to bring your coffee or I will sell it for you on behalf of you. And then we'll brand it my company, but then we can put your family names to it. So then you're building your own brand, like your name. Says, okay, that's fine. So the agreement was, okay, I'll import this coffee and you help me to sell. And I'm going to start helping you to sell too, because I'm a business development. So, you know, people and stuff. So, okay, we agreed on that. So. There's no string attached. So I just imported it, stored it in his place. And then he also selling it in his shop. I also start helping him to sell it different contacts. And I know. Right. So you're like, he's selling at his shop. You're getting more shops. Yes. To sell it. Yes. And then in agreement, like he doesn't need to pay for the green beans from me in advance. You're taking all the risk. So, and I did, I did took the risk. And what happened as expected didn't work out. Didn't it work? What do you mean as expected? It's learning curve, right? You need to try this kind of thing just to understanding of what what did what it didn't work? work was he was just the same business mindset as the other one. They're just trying to squish you bleeds as much as possible. And then he already sold our coffee. The coffee doing well, by the way. The coffee to consumers doing amazing. And we were about to doing the, the second shipment with the same person. What happened? I just see the toxic side of ship already coming in between. You know, he sold the coffee and he his brand was built with the story that I gave him that the coffee from the farm directly took up. You know, because other roastery doesn't have that story. They usually yeah. buy from cafe importer, you know, and then that company have particularly the story that I give them. So he's adding the value, you know, we need to support that company because it's coming from there, directly from the farm to the cups and stuff. And then he start become like the business grow. So he have more visitors, more things and things and that. And yeah. he's like, he become an ego because the coffee is selling so quickly. And then now he want to sell more. He want to basically buy more, but better price. Huh. What are you like? What did you say? Hang on a minute. So your business is doing well because of the story you share. And obviously for me being there. Yeah. And so you want to buy my coffee for less? How does that make I, sense? I just, I don't get it. What How did you say? You expect me to sell because my import, it doesn't, I don't make anything right now. Because selling green beans is the lessest margins you can get in coffee. And that time I'm just doing it because I want to testing out the market. Right? He's like asking you to lose money. Yes. So asking better deal, as you business person do, when you start yeah. getting busy because he's so worried about like his product going to be depending on me. So you need to secure better price so that he can sell, you know, in exclusive. So you're asking for exclusive right? I said, no, we never agreed to that. So where did it and end then, up? And then we end up like gone to separate ways. And it was, took me so long to get my money back from him. Really? But then that very important license, that's where it led me to open my own brand. So how did you start opening up your own brand? So I was like, okay, this is not happening. So I learned from the first instance and I learned from the second and third shipments. I'm thinking like, I need to change my game here. This is not going to work. Finding buyers, rely on to someone. The risk is basically, is raw material. People doesn't know the product as much as I do. And then by working as partnership, they have different priority. They have different approach, different view of like they do stuff. And I was thinking like, okay, I need to do something. So I came back to Bali and happened my brother who got an accident also back in Bali because he's actually living in Japan. And he was like, okay, 
I'm going to do something very adventurous. I was like, what is that? I want to open a restaurant. He's like, what? But in one condition, you need to still live in Dubai because in case financially, I want you to be able to back me up. Yeah. Yeah. So my older brother, Eddie, decided to come back to Bali, open a coffee shop called Satu Satu, which is in Brawa right now. So you need to check that out as well. It's so busy every day right now. And then I was like, okay. So then I'm like, okay, I need you to come back to Bali and come to rescue me. I was like, okay, I'll come back to Bali to rescue him. So I came back to Bali. We had like a very small shop actually, probably by like four by six meter size, including the kitchen. It's only probably, I still remember the seating capacity probably like seven inside. And then there's seven, seven inside and then there's eight outside. It's a very small wow. shop. Then yeah. you got little bar for the coffee and stuff in there. First thing I look at is like his financial plan. It's like, he has no money. <laughs> <laughs> he has no money. And then he realized, how are we going to do this? And then he already leased these um, promises because we cannot build from scratch, right? He's already mm. leased it for two years. All the rents goes there. And then after that, like he doesn't have money even to buy furniture. This is so like chaos. I'm like, oh my God, you know, you didn't plan it well, you know? I was like, what's going on? I was like, that's why I want you to come back to Bali and help me out. Otherwise, I, will, I wouldn't ask for your help. I was thinking like, okay, then of course what you do then. And I have to inject some money, right? So I'm like, okay, let's do this agreement. I work my job in Dubai. You're doing what you're doing here. Because I got to quit my job to help you out here. We need to do one thing and divide the job and responsibility so that in case anything happened, so I had to go to the bank and give it a loan. I, I borrowed some money, but I paid from my salaries in Dubai and I helped yeah. him out with the coffee shop. And also this kind of like also helps maybe you out because now you have a place to distribute your coffee That's beans, very right? true. This is now like they, they, uh, they call it like a vertically integrated yes. company, right? Like yes. in the... Back of the back in the day, one of the reasons, like I think it was uh, Andrew Carnegie from Carnegie Steel, was so successful is he had a vertically integrated company. He owned everything from you know the the uh, uh, collection and creation of the steel all the way to the construction of like the railroads. Um, and so in the same way, like you own every part, you could own every oh, part of the process true. from crop to cup. So how do my you? My brain that? was like, my God, nonstop thinking about what can I do, what which way and stuff because. You, you need to start working on your second five years goal, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this coffee shop could be either blessing, could be curse. <laughs> and especially when you had to go to the bank and borrow money. And then what I'm thinking, what does it make it attractive? What if I'm just going to tell a little bit of story where the coffee come from? Because that's the story that we use in Dubai and it worked. And maybe the story would work here yes. too. Yes. And we wrote the story, he said, the coffee come from our own plantation located in North of Bali. And then it's been grown and sustainable. And then Sudan we got help from, you know, governments about doing to facilitate their things, blah, blah, blah. First three months, six months. Oh my God. The consumers like queuing really? outside our door. Queuing. At some point. Like I was, some of the reviewers say like, oh my God, it was just amazing coffee, you know, but we had to wait for the tables and long, blah, 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 blah. And then you have to think of the expansion. So we thought about expansion the first year already. Because it was so successful. And then we found a plot of land actually opposite of the current coffee shop. Really? And then, well, I haven't paid my loan yet in Bali and I have to pay under loans in Dubai. I have to take another loans in Dubai, which is interest quite low. And then at the meantime, the loans in Bali was already kind of decreasing, right? And yeah. then the revenue of that we get the second year of the current, the small shop, we use to financing the building of the opposite side. So now you had two locations. Well, the location one producing the cash and the location is still building, so it doesn't do anything. And we build from scratch from the revenue that we use from the small shop and then Finally, the second year when the lease was due in the small shop and then we moved the opposite. It was huge success. Like people, if you go into Instagrams or Satu Satu or website, people like, are coming oh from my all God, around. everyone like complain, complimenting about our coffee and like how good it is. And at the same time as well, um, we're not just the coffee shop, but we also show the transparency. Yeah, you're showing them all, not only the coffee shop, but the plantation too. Yes. So, so this, it's not just the story, but it's the reality. And people love that. And so where does it go from you there? You know, obviously, while I'm paying my loans in Dubai, I'm thinking like, maybe we should start thinking of supplying them, you know, and then we come up with the brand. So it's like, okay, right now what we've been doing is we've been 
taking our coffee and supplying ourselves. But what if we supplied every coffee Correct. shop around Bali? And then I'm thinking like, no, we cannot call it the same company. People love our coffee and then people love our story. People come to our plantation and everything. And then that's where the brand is born. Wow. That's where Bali Beans is born. It took me a while to decide if I want to go for Bali Beans or not. Personal Instagram, I converted to Bali Beans account because you can do that, right? The time and you just change the user. That's how actually the brand born. Wow. How did it feel to have that brand, like that brand now come into existence? So proud. Yeah. And it's every time like people mention the name of Bali Beans, it makes you feel more prouder, right? It's just a small step, a small ideas come to reality because people can have a lot of ideas but there's no action to the ideas and it's, it's worth nothing. So where is Bali Beans Yeah, today? so the coffee shop successful story. And then I'm thinking like, oh, what should I do? If I want to build a Bali Beans brand, what should I do first? So I decided to build my facility at the plantation first. It's the foundations of the brand, where it's actually come from. And this plantation is where I actually planned the coffee when I was 14. Wow, it's all, it all comes full circle. Careful what you plan for. That's what I always say to people. Because you never know, you maybe come back to it and harvest it yourself. Like I did harvest the coffee that I planted myself when I was 14. What does the whole operation look like? Obviously, today? the foundation is built. We want to be, have a solid plantation. People know where Bali Beans Plantation is. And then we are actually very proud to say we are the one of number one, I would say, rose tree that's set up in the middle of plantation. So people can actually come in anytime so they can see the processing witnessing like what is actually the the tiny little bean lives look like or the journey before actually made it to your cups and then obviously because Bali Beans is a brand we want to be able to to get as much as business as possible from different outlets like hotel restaurants coffee shop and then of course what can else can we sell so we created one-stop shopping we don't just sell the wholesale but we also have the coffee machine so you're creating your own machine, your Bali Beans machine? No, creating, yeah, we're importing it. We work together hand-to-hands with a manufacturer in Birmingham. So they everything that they do, also everything they do in, in, in-house. In Bali, the one of the biggest challenges for business owners is to find like reliable uh, coffee companies, supplies, not just supply the coffee, but also supply the machine, but then also train the team. So essentially what you're doing is you're creating like a, like a full service package. It's like, oh, I want to start a coffee shop. Yes. I'm going to go to Bali Beans and they're going to give me everything that I need to start from the training to the coffee machines, to the beans, right. everything. It's almost like you're doing like this. It's like, a, like, like this franchise model in some ways. Yes. The franchise model, because this kind of business, you can do it like, you know, in different location and different formation. Right. So what we're doing is just, we want to make life easier for the business, you know? And like, I think, yes, there's going to be people that like make really successful coffee shops, but if you can be the person providing service for those coffee shops, then you're going to be set up for so much success because you're not just depending on one location being successful you are investing basically in the growth of Bali. Yes. So when during my research, why I want to open the Bali Beans and then I want to do one-stop shopping, I know the weakness of the businesses in Bali. The struggle of the every business owner's got to do. And plus, the same time as well, for me, like to learn, looking back to 17 years of my life, I learned that Bali cannot always just depending on tourism. So that's why I'm here back in my own route. And I'm utilizing that skill now to see how far can I go? How far can, can I bring this brand? And then obviously um, the knowledge of I know the weakness side of the business and you become the solution of the business, right? So that's why when people complaining about a problem they have, the way I look at it is it's like I look at the opportunity of it. Awesome. So uh, we want to talk a little bit about what you're doing for women farmers. I just thought this is so important, you know, and it's such a mean a lot to me as well. And during my childhood, I was working with these women farmers. I don't know if many of people knows what's happening behind the scenes of farming industry right now. They're cooperating with using like chemicals that spring out to the, plant, the plants, right? They spend their day in the plantations for the kind of eight to 10 hours of their day and they're breeding every single day with these chemicals in their own farm. 
in their own home, developing like illness over time, like lung, lung cancer, cancers, in, infections, and stuff. So I I want to dedicate this kind of post just because it's it's so dear to me. I lost few of my cousins over this. I'm trying to improve the one life at the times through the coffee. So we encourage the farmers now to grow coffee in the shared environments. Just for reason, that's whereby they should be removing themselves farming to using no chemical at all. Because I just think it's, you know, it's healthier for them. Healthier for them. And also like that organic farming is kind of what people want to buy. Yes. So, so that's why I'm just kind of like working so hard. So I work now with 22 women farmers, which is a support. I love them so much because um, I think they are the important people behind of like, you know, no farmers, no food, no future. So, and for them to be able to encourage the young generation. So I want to make farming become like interesting. So if the audience or customers demanding more of organic or naturally grown and the farmers then can become a habit for them, a routine for them to not use this kind of chemical. Because it's not just going to be good for the community as the farmers, but it's also good for us as consumers. So imagine to know to consume something that you know where it comes from. How nice is that be? So the Bali beans is basically we empower women's farmers and plus as well. Yeah. And empower, empower the next generation of farmers. That's, I mean, like you're investing back into the community to make sure that uh, you're uplifting Bali and not just uh, like, exporting the money no, elsewhere. No, no. I think it yeah. is so important because, you know, we are very, like, kind of rich here in Indonesia. Like, we, we can grow anything and everything. Not many countries are able to do that, but we are able to do that here. So it's such a privilege. And why not to promote agriculture as well? But in the way it's a sustainable and natural grown environment, and then the same thing, like, for business owner, if they can do something that um, can give back to the community in a good way, please you know, do it, you know what I mean? So it, then it's going to be creating kind of like healthy circles of life. Yeah. So as you look towards the future, as you look towards the more like the other problems to solve, what does Bali beans look like in five years? What does it look like in 10 years? What are you looking towards for the future? What are you most excited? We about? are in the stage of building our brand right now, Foundation, because COVID slow us down a little bit. How I see Bali beans in five years basically have so many places a coffee shop chains to start with i dream to have like at least five to six coffee shop in different location in bali to start with and then this is three years plan by the way not five years <laughs> so i wanted i need to see my roa quicker than five years now so i'm just challenging myself like can i do this in three years instead of five yeah. years yeah and then after that i would love to see bali beans out of bali Wow. And then why not? You know, Bali comes to you, you know? So maybe opening something like in the US or in the UK or Middle East wow. or Europe, you know, a coffee shop chain side of it. So instead of you coming to Bali, we'll come to you. <laughs> well, that's the goal. That's so so that's the goal. That's so exciting. I mean, based on everything I've heard, it seems like that goal is very attainable. Um, so looking back at this whole journey, you know, from a kid growing up on a coffee plantation to building your coffee empire right now. What advice do you think you would have given yourself um, or someone maybe similar, like similar in situation to you growing up, maybe not having the resources uh, or, or even the knowledge to know like how to uh, start a company? Like what advice do you think you would give, you know, uh, someone who was in a similar situation to you? I think the advice, there's one word that I'm always sticking in my head. There's always a way. And the other one is like, you always have a choice. When the world doesn't involve around you or like you feel like, you know, the world is against you, right? Just, just try to think like outside about removing that energy. Get out of that box and then you will see bigger or wider world then. And then in life, this is my life experience. I just want to share. I think the certain age of life, we need to learn. And just take your time to learn as much as possible 
Obviously, education is a very important thing. If you have the skill, you have graduate from school, it's perfect. That's what it's like. A, it's a step. Unfortunately, I didn't have that opportunity, but you know, I made it out. Like I live with my life experience. And during your twenties, you still need to learn. You're not mature enough for business. Learning again, learning. So keep learning, learning, learning until really sure that what you really want. Because I think the age is mature. I got mature when I started, like age of twenty-seven. You know, before that, oh my God, I was like, you know, you only live once, you do all this kind of thing, but you have to feel go through that life too, because you have to enjoy life too. Because if life is too serious for you, and then you just focus on your career, and then you don't have life at all, because every individual have a different goal, and I think to define what you really want in life, what you really want to achieve, and working to where you want to go and what you want to achieve is the key. Like me, like I can talk coffee all day, like seven days a week, the whole month, you know. Like I can just do that all the time. So because I'm passionate about it, because I love what I'm doing, and I'm proud of it. So when you do something proud and you love something that you're doing, my God, you know, there's no, you know, a lot of my a lot of my family sometimes complain. You work so hard. I was like, no, because I love it, you know. Because it's just nice to wake up in the morning to have a purpose. And then to see the people that are supporting us, you know, I'm empowering women farmers too. Just don't stop learning. And sometimes learning bad things is not bad at all. Then you know that you don't want that. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our audio editing team lead is Ashley Jimenez with support from Jessica Morales, Miley Lipton, Siyu Pan, Kenny Ray, Josie Yo, Matt Fernandez, and Merritt Hill. Our outreach and research team lead is Desiree Nunez with support from Marissa Granados, Monica Lee, Sarah Tiersmer, and Yao Luo. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.